Hi, KBT fans. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We just want to take a second here to tell you about our Patreon campaign. Support from our listeners is what allows us to keep making this podcast. Because it turns out making a podcast requires money. So please, if you have a second, head over to patreon.com slash Talk, where you'll find bonus content for contributors. For our first bonus episode, we're doing a holiday special covering the 1999 Tom Cruise classic Magnolia, which, trust us, you do not want to miss. So visit patreon.com slash Talk for details. Yeah, it doesn't take a lot to explain Twister to someone. Yeah, also like... Although, hang on. (laughs) No, wait a minute. The plot of Twister is complicated. (laughs) They have developed a brand new technology (laughs) to track Twisters. Also, there's marital strife. I, I don't know. All right, welcome to Kim and Billy Talk Mission Impossible, episode one, where we are talking about Mission Impossible 1. I'm Billy. I'm Kim. Uh, and let's get right into it. So hopefully you've listened to our last episode where we were just kind of outlining the project, uh, going over what we're going to talk about. Making uh, it clear that we don't really have any idea what we're doing, but by gosh, no are we idea, having fun. <laughs> no expertise. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to be talking uh, Mission Impossible 1 today. Uh Released in 1996, Tom Cruise's first producing project as well. Is his first producing project? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he teamed up with uh, Paula Wagner, and uh, I think that's his manager or his agent, and yeah. uh, they formed this production company together, and this was their very first project. They had to pitch it to the studio, and um, Tom Cruise was just so heavily involved in every single aspect of its creation. And uh, they're still they're still working together, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, before we get started on the movie, I, I, I do want to talk about what is on our tabletops right now. Yep. Uh, we didn't talk about this on mic last week, but uh, you and I both like cocktails. A lot. Uh, a lot. So uh, we had the idea of what if we did themed cocktails. For every single episode. For every single episode. So the only time we were able to record this episode was Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a rough start to my morning. <laughs> Same. You're I feel not for, alone. <laughs> I feel for very good reasons. Uh, I was celebrating the, the the marriage of two very good friends last night, so it was our duty to stay out late and Yeah, I just was hanging with a friend and we drank too much, so. I mean, friendship's <laughs> important, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the only possible cocktail. The only one. We could get started with was uh, a Caesar. A Caesar. Uh, and so... When we were talking about how do you make a Caesar Mission Impossible themed, I said, well, could we tie together like a, a Slim Jim and a, and a celery stick or something and make it look like a little man descending from the roof? And, and weirdly enough, I had little men that we could drop in there. I will um, confirm that these little men are from a bachelorette party, and so they are wearing nothing but sure they are. <laughs> So and they have their names printed on their ass. Kim, Kim texted me this picture and she was like, I can do you one better than a Slim Jim. I have actual little men <laughs> <laughs> we can use as garnish. So definitely head over to our Twitter account and you can see a cocktail that I am calling the Langley. Very good. It's basically a Caesar. Yep. With a little plastic man hanging in it. Little plastic naked man. Yep. Yes. And it is making my morning so much better. Yes. And maybe this podcast that much worse, but... Time will tell. Time will tell. Okay, so did you like Mission Impossible? No, wait, better question to ask. How long has it been since you last watched Mission Impossible 1? So I first saw this, uh, like on DVD. I didn't see it in theaters. So I guess that's Mm 1997-ish. Did not see it again until I watched it the day before seeing Fallout. So I guess a month and a bit ago. Mm -hmm. And then I rewatched it yesterday. Cool. I honestly can't remember how I watched it the first time. I assume I was a kid. I assume it was also on rental. I remember the first time I saw it being confused, and maybe that was just a reflection of the fact that I was not the smartest child well, in hang the on. world. Serious question. <laughs> Were you not confused watching it this time? Well, yeah, I was just going to say, I had so much trouble following the plot. This is one of the most legendarily confusing plots. And I had this moment where I was like, am I dumb? Is it me? Am I still that like 10 year old kid who has no idea what's going on? But um, I I think it is incorrect to label this movie as having plot holes, but there are definitely things it doesn't explain about the narrative, which I think is kind of cool. That's, you know, nice. But there were things that I only answered on this most recent rewatch. Yeah. I'm still not certain I have correct. Yeah. 
But okay, when you saw this as a kid for the first time, did you like it then? No, because I was confused by it. And um, I think that's why I was really indifferent towards the Mission Impossible series for so long. Like, you know me, if it's like a superhero movie or whatever, like I'm there opening weekend, I'm happy to join entertainment bandwagons. But it wasn't until Ghost Protocol that I actually started to really enjoy these movies. So I was the same as far as number one goes. Um, So it's interesting. I was looking at the timeline and, and trying to figure out the math here. So this comes out one year after Goldeneye which was a huge moment in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like every boy I knew at, at that age, like their dad took this as an opportunity to be like, I'm going to teach you about James Bond and James Bond's coming back. And Goldeneye is like kind of a slow movie by today's standards, but was pretty freaking cool as a kid. Like the opening scene, he's bungee jumping, he's punching people in the toilet, shit's <laughs> blowing up. Forgot about that. Yeah. Um, and then the video game came out the next year, which defined probably a decade of my life. Yeah. Uh, that again is Penny, the official cat of the podcast. Hello, yeah. Penny. Um, but so I remember like Mission Impossible coming out the next year and, and my dad trying to get me excited for this. Like it's another spy movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feeling kind of like the, the bargain bin version of Bond. Like the opening <laughs> scene is really weird there's just this dead what you think is hooker on the bed and they're like (laughs) fighting about it and then the walls come down and then it's very slow it's very talky yeah it actually watching it so i also rewatched it for the first time yesterday well no as i as we explained in episode zero i started rewatching it about two weeks ago so how far into it did you get before you stopped Right after to the demise of Emilio Estevez. And that is because I was sitting on my couch. So this is the first time I was sitting on my couch going, oh my God, I have so many things I have to say about this. And I was like, maybe I tweet them out to the world. And I was like, you know what? I think this is funny enough that we could do a podcast. And that's how this whole thing got started. When we we go through the movie, I really want to talk about how maybe they're like a terrible spy team. I think a lot of these deaths (laughs) are avoidable, but, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I thought I hated this movie and then rewatching it, I think I was into it a lot more than you were. What, 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 what did you feel once you actually completed it? Uh, that my impression from being a 10 year old kid was accurate. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you can see a lot of the DNA of Mission Impossible, Mm um, I think there are like two halves to this movie. One is a stunt spectacular and the other is a very plotty, almost Jean Le Carré style um, espionage thriller. And I don't think those two halves merge quite as well as they figure out later in the series. I don't think you're wrong. I also formed a theory while I was watching it that um, each subsequent director of this series probably watches the first one as they're like de- de- developing their draft notes and then they like choose to mirror something in the later films. And I don't actually know if that carries out through the rest of the movies, but even like there's one part where they've got those um those suction the suction cups. Yeah, to climb and get across the train and I was like, "Oh my god, that's a precursor to those gloves in Ghost Protocol." Yeah, I actually I had a very dumb moment watching that. Like I know the gloves aren't real. Yeah. The gloves in, mm-hmm. in Ghost Protocol are obviously science fiction, but I had a moment of, "Are those suction cups real?" And if so, <laughs> how do I get some? But uh, they are real. I'll bet they are. Well, it's not that I didn't like it, I appreciated it because you're right. The DNA of the rest of the series is in there. I also respect that it was Tom Cruise's first production venture, and it was like I think the third uh, highest grossing film of 1996. So that's a good People job. Well done. This movie, this, yeah. this was incredibly successful. Yeah, and it was also just interesting to me because I do think that Tom Cruise is a great actor. He's a very physical actor, as I've said before, but this was the first movie in which I think he really combined um, being an action superstar with uh, showing off incredible dramatic acting skills, and I don't think it worked. Uh, I thought he was a bit over the top from time to time, and so that was also, it also made it a bit bit more difficult to get into the movie. Okay. Do we want to start going through the plot here, and we can just talk about what works, what didn't work, before we get into trying to answer our our detailed questions? Uh, The first thing that didn't work for me was the opening scene, as you said, where I, honest to God, thought that it was a soap opera, like some sort of like telenovela playing on the little security TV. And it took me a while to figure out that, oh, no, those are spies, and this is an investigation. Well, yeah, and so... So right from that first scene, 
uh, Brian De Palma is, is setting up one of the big themes that's going to run through this movie of surveillance and video footage and editing video footage to misdirect and to tell mm-hmm. stories. And if I was still in film school <laughs> and I had to write an essay about this, I would be talking about the very meta nature of how the spies in this movie use film to achieve their ends by deceiving people in the same way that this movie does with the plot twists and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. All I was thinking about was how fake everything looked. Well, well, right. <laughs> and, and so I think, you know, I think that theme is, you know, probably really exciting in 1996. Mm-hmm. It's very weird in 2018 in the YouTube era. And mm-hmm. the fact that this sci-fi technology they were talking about hundred percent exists now. And mm-hmm the discussion we've had on it is about 10 levels above what this movie is doing, right? This is yep. like the high school essay yep. of what we're now living through, which is like a PhD dissertation on everybody filming everything and creating their own stories with it. So and I, you did study film once. It's uh, very once astute. and not well. But I will say that <laughs> after we kind of move out of this very flat opener mm-hmm. um, and get into the actual prog mission, I was 100% on board. That is just a killer sequence from the start of the mission through to him meeting with Kittredge in the aquarium. That whole stretch I was like lightning. I loved it. Yeah. Um, I was so delighted when Emilio Estevez came onto the screen. I completely forgot that he was a part of this movie. And I sat there on my couch and I yelled out, Emilio! It was a highlight for me. So let's get right into Emilio because this is where yeah. I start to have some questions about the IMF team. Um, and their capabilities. And their capabilities. So, so number one, this is the first time of, if I'm doing the math correctly, one, two, three, four, if not five times that um, a senior member of IMF is going to flip and try to bring down world governments. Mm-hmm. How has this place not been shut down yet? Like, IMF <laughs> should be garbage at this point. Yep. Um, but even when they are operating, this team, I think, is not great. No, I was, like, what was unique, I think, to this film in the rest of the series, and I don't know, maybe it happens in Mission Mission Impossible 2 and 3, which I can't really remember, um, is that they do spend some time at the beginning of the movie establishing, or at least trying to establish this group as like a fun, jokey banter, they're all friends sort of team. And like when they're razzing John Voight, aka Jim Phelps in this movie, um, that obviously is a plot piece later on, but it was different from the rest of them where, you know, I think they were trying to show Ethan loves his team. Ethan loves his team. And here's, here's something I loved about going back to the beginning. I I said in the intro episode that people often kind of criticize the fact that Ethan Hunt is not really a character. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of consistency with him. And and by the last few movies, he seems pretty bland and and just a guy who does stunts. Mm -hmm. I think it was really interesting to go back and see young Ethan Hunt, who is doing very old school, late 80s, early 90s, Tom Cruise cockiness. He's cracking jokes. He's cracking jokes on the mission. Yeah. Um, And then this thing goes wrong, and the people he cares about die for what feels like the first time in his career. Yeah. And we're never going to get that cocky guy back. Yeah. Um, It's like a real change that sticks with the character throughout the series. And if I'm not mistaken, and there might be an asterisk about how we quantify this as far as Mission Impossible 3 goes, but he never loses another team member after this. Well, some just disappear from the series in general, but we don't know why. Right, they might be dying horrible (laughs) deaths in between movies, but we never see him lose a team member after this. No, and in fact, that becomes a huge part of the series where he sometimes makes really bad choices in order to protect his team members. Yes, I have have huge thoughts about that for next week's movie, but I'll I'll save that for then. Um, I don't want to lose track of your Emilio... Yes. God. Okay. Emilio Estevez. First of all, I hope he's well. Um, but right, where has he been? I don't know. But maybe he's been spending too much time in elevator shafts. I don't know. But um, in this movie, he is the tech guy, which was not really believable because he is sort of a brash bro in this. And I think I need all my tech guys to be sweet, adorable nerds. Well, wait a minute. Then how did you feel about um, Luther Stickle? Oh, well, he is the exception to the rule. Okay. He is a badass. No right. one is like Finn Rames. Yeah. Okay. I So the whole setup here mm-hmm. is that Phelps is going to kill the entire team except one person yeah. and let that person take the fall. Mm-hmm. So number one, bad choice. <laughs> Why do you leave Ethan Hunt to take the fall when he's clearly the only capable, capable person? 
obviously he goes down and you leave Emilio. Emilio's <laughs> your fall guy. Emilio allowed himself to stay in the direct path of a hanging sharp right. piece of metal. So which here's went what I was thinking. One, think about how slowly elevators actually move when they get to the very top. Yep. Pretty slow. Yep. Two, those spikes were not on the entire ceiling. No, it was in one very specific place. He could have rolled could to have the rolled. side. <laughs> Three, we see him hanging off the side. We know he, he, yep. he like chooses <laughs> to get impaled. Yep. The other thing is, how hard is it to not get murdered through a fence? <laughs> Can we talk about that? She I know. gets stabbed through a fence. I think this team is bad. I think They're it's a bad very bad. Team. Who else? And there was um, another blonde woman. Um, she has the sunglasses and then she blows up in the car. Yeah. She's barely in this movie. I, I couldn't tell you anything more about Hannah, her than that. that's her Hannah. name. Okay. But I don't think we even need to remember her name because she's that forgettable. No. She, she's that forgettable. And again, talking about bad spies, she's wearing these color-changing sunglasses inside <laughs> a dinner party at an embassy at night. Like if I'm <laughs> Secret Service, that's the first person I'm going after. Yeah, Totally. Yeah, so they all died, they and all died. Um, then I think I we are subject to Tom Cruise's worst acting scene, where you're talking he, about when he calls in. Um, no, the scene in the aquarium place. Okay, where he is being accused. No, no, no. It is when he calls in when he says they're all dead, and yeah. he's just very intense about it, and he's shaking a little bit, but it's just a little bit too much, I think. Yeah, and. It's, it's weird because he does, throughout the rest of the series, play things pretty stoic. We don't see him worked up like that again. Mm-hmm. But we've seen Tom Cruise, the actor, do scenes like that a lot. It is weird that that scene feels a little, a little off. Well, I think it's probably a deliberate choice that Tom Cruise made to be that intense and that over the top. Um, because, so he did film Top Gun before this, so that is technically classified as an action film. But in that movie, Tom Cruise does very little physical work. He's the most physical work he does is when he dances in the bar to, um, <laughs> oh, God, what's the song? I can't remember. Anyway. Yeah. But um, it's the planes that do all of the action <laughs> yes. in the movie. Tom Cruise the just- The planes are the real heroes yeah. of that. <laughs> Tom Cruise just kind of sits there. And yeah. in this movie, I think it is the first time where he is presenting himself as an action superstar. And, and, and what I like is that- He's performing confidence in his words and speech. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have physical confidence down yet. I think that's exactly what it is, which is why it doesn't work sometimes. So we were joking earlier today about, okay, so I actually like, here's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Earlier today we were talking about the famous patented Tom Cruise run, Mm -hmm. right? That very stiff-backed, whatever. And you sent me a, a gif of Forrest Gump. Yeah, it's the exact same run. It's just like you're karate chopping the air and your yep. back doesn't move at all. Yep. So what I love is that after the car blows up, he's on the bridge and he realizes he's got to get out of there and he runs away and he does not do the Tom Cruise run. He hasn't like figured that out yet. That's not where he is. He's very, he's bent over, he's hunched. I must have missed that because he does do that run later on in the film. Okay. But at the beginning there, he's like so scared he can't do his cool run. I wonder what order they shot this film in. Mm. Like if that stuff came later. And then he, he does kind of the same thing. So I I love the exploding bubble gum. Oh my God. That is my favorite thing. I called it bomb gum every yeah. time in my notes. And when he blows up the aquarium, that's still cool to me. Did you know they shot that scene without a permit? Like they just <laughs> did it. They weren't allowed to, damage was done, and they just did it in the middle of the night so no one would stop them. Well, and that's his whole thing as a producer. He's long had this thing of like, I can't get insured to do this stunt. Yeah. Ah, I'm just going to do it anyway. I'm the boss. Who's yeah. going to tell me no? <laughs> but it looks awkward when he is running away from all that water. And it's, it's partly because they really did it, and that's what it's really going to look like. Yeah. But he doesn't look like an action hero. He looks like a guy who's... Well, in that moment, that's probably the realest we've ever seen Tom Cruise on the scene um, on the screen because they did shoot that for real. There was that much water. They did it without a permit because Tom Cruise could have possibly died <laughs> while shooting that scene. He could have drowned to death, and so he was probably actually really scared. I just think that's really cool that like we are watching this guy who has impeccable training but clearly hasn't had opportunity to use it in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. And when called upon to use it in the heat of the moment, it's not there. He, he's, he's, he's looking like how I'd run if I was running away from, <laughs> from a sniper in Prague. Because he's afraid he's going to drown. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think you're right. After he does the big 
hang from the ceiling stunt and mm-hmm. he's a crazy badass. Like you see him come into his own physically. And by the end, when he's on the train, he looks like an action hero. Yeah. He's moving like an action hero. I, in my mind, I choose to believe that they shot this movie chronologically because I love the narrative of him being kind of awkward. And then once he's hanging from that wire, which to this day, Tom Cruise says is the hardest stunt he's ever done. I, I can't wait till we get there to talk about that. Yeah. But, um, like, just imagine how much body control that would have taken. And then afterwards, he was probably like, I can do anything. I own this, yeah. Yeah. Who, who, d- d- we witnessed the birth Krieger, of Tom Cruise, are you do action yeah. movie star. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they got everyone killed. He goes to meet with Kittredge mm-hmm. in the aquarium, mm-hmm. aquarium. Aquarium. And as a kid, this was immediately where I lost the plot, mm-hmm. which is he realizes... The C- there was a CIA team that was supervising them mm-hmm. on the knock list mission. Yeah. And now the CIA team is in the restaurant. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Get two teams. I- <laughs> <laughs> You're so, the CIA. You have budget. <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of things. So the CIA is not doing great work here either. So the knock list. Which is a stupid name. They could have found a cooler name, I think. Well, so it, NOC stands for non-official cover. Which yeah, I think is but it's thing. still like... I think knock list is crazy cool. Okay, fine. It just sounds like hard knock life to me. That's all I hear in my no. head every time I hear it. Okay. Moving on. Well, now you ruined it. <laughs> it's a really cool idea that has been copied in a number of different movies. Skyfall basically has a version mm-hmm. of the knock list. Charlie's Angels. If you think about the knock list for even one second, it is an extremely implausible idea. Oh, it's so stupid. It's like, here is a targeted list of everyone that Everybody. we don't want you to find. And we're going to keep it in an embassy in the former Soviet Union yeah. when these are specifically deep cover operatives in Eastern Europe. Yeah. <laughs> Makes no sense, but good Still for the movie. Cool. Yeah. Still cool. Yep. Yeah. So I, I know we're we're jumping all over the place now, yeah. but I'm, I'm just going through my notes and I took down some notes about fashion in this movie. <laughs> Go on. That made me surprisingly nostalgic for the late 90s in a way that I usually don't feel looking back at, at pictures of my, my own childhood. So I'm going to yeah. give you three thoughts on fashion here. Ready. One is timeless. Tom Cruise looks great in glasses. I had a completely different note, which is why is Tom Cruise wearing these glasses in the first place? And then I remembered that it was 1996 and they don't have contact super spy lenses yet. So. Right. He doesn't just have an embedded camera in his face. So yeah. It just, it felt like a needless risk to take. If you are a action, like, no, if you are for real super spy and you need those glasses, they could fly off your face. Right. If the temperature goes above like 22 degrees here, I sweat enough that just standing still my glasses fall off. Yeah. So the idea that you're going to be rotating around, like he, what he needed to be doing is wearing those like uh, nerdy librarian glasses. Keep, you know what I'm talking about? The <laughs> With strap? the string. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so that was thought one. Here's thought yeah. two. Trench coats are really cool. They are. Yeah. They've always been cool, but I feel like they've been corrupted by yes. negative. And I had this thought. I was like, moments. what happened in the 90s that <laughs> we stopped wearing? Tra- and then I, I recalled. And I was like, yeah. okay, yep, yep, nope, that's fine. No that's, more trench coats. We don't coats. need those. Here's something, though, that I was surprised I thought was so cool. Mm-hmm. Leather blazers. Leather blazers. Tom Cruise is wearing a leather jacket throughout the second half of this over mm-hmm. like a ribbed sweater. Mm-hmm. And I have seen guys throughout high school and university try to buy secondhand leather blazers. Like these are, these are not leather coats, like not motorcycle jackets. Like they're cut like a suit jacket. Right? Yeah. And they look terrible. He was killing it in that leather blazer. Maybe you want to go out and get one. <laughs> you could bring it back. You could start I'm a new bring trend. bring it back, yes. Honestly, I didn't register the leather blazer. Um, I think it's when he's doing the magic trick with the, with oh, the disc. Yeah. Well, I do remember that. That was funny. That was just, I bet you Tom Cruise can actually do that trick and many other magic tricks. Yes, no, apparently that is not camera editing. He learned to do that trick. Oh, yeah. Of course he did. Um, Tom Cruise. Just another quick note on worst spies in the world. Yep. That you're going to gamble everything on that he's going to believe your magic trick so much that he's going to throw away the disc in the trash <laughs> and then you're going to pick it up. Also, and if you're a creaker, just hold on to the one you have. Like, I know. You don't know if he's lying or not. And But also, why would you take the risk of like leaving it to Krieger in the first place? He's disavowed. You know he's untrustworthy for some reason. Why would you gamble your entire career, fate of the world, all the lives of those people on that list 
why would you let him have it in the first place? That, that is, I, so I love John Reno. I mm-hmm. think he's fantastic. And I actually like what he's doing in this movie. Th- this is my one, I don't, know, I don't know if I actually have a problem with it now that I'm thinking about it, but I think it's legitimately shocking when you find out that Phelps has been working against the team the entire time. Mm-hmm. Whereas from the second that Krieger is on screen, you're like, that guy's still good. What are you, why are you working with him? He is obviously working against you. Yeah. And then um, when uh, Claire Phelps, Emmanuel says, oh, I'm the one who brought him onto the team. I feel bad about it. It's kind of a dead See, giveaway. That, it took me until this final rewatch to mm-hmm. figure out, because Krieger's been in on it from the beginning. I was like, how did they luck out to picking him off the disavowed list when he's secretly bag it but you're yeah. right Claire is like if we want to take a moment to talk about Claire's character like I don't know I think um there's obviously romantic tension in a lot of well all of the Mission Impossible movies mm-hmm. am I wrong about that but I think in this one it's I think the worst we, um and by worst I mean just the least believable and the most awkward and so I uh I bought the Mission Impossible bundle from Google Play same when this one finished I was so excited to start number two yeah. that I let 15 minutes of that go by. Yeah. Hold your opinion on whether this is the worst flirtation okay. in the series. Okay. But <laughs> yes, I, I think it's not great. She's very good at pretending to faint on beds, yep. I guess. If you want to talk about lines that don't work for you, mm-hmm. her four o'clock, 4 a.m., oh, 400. <laughs> Abort, Ethan. Yeah, I was like... <laughs> Okay, Ethan, if you are if you are a spy at all, you have to call that this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> but I like imagining, you know, like Kristen Scott Thomas and Emilio Estevez in the coffee room. Watching that scene being filmed? No, just their characters. Yeah. In the safe house while everyone's out being like, fucking boss brought his wife along. What does she even <laughs> do here? Like, how isn't this breaking nepotism laws? Yeah. <laughs> U.S. hiring policy. Also, Kristen deserved better in that movie. I, I feel like she could have been a Max-like character, and instead she is just, I think the biggest acting feat that she has in the movie is just enduring Tom Cruise weirdly pretending to make out with her and whispering in her ear. Yeah, that was so, so much, uncomfortable. It's, it's so much more uncomfortable than if they actually made out. Because he like I know. kisses her jawline. I know. <laughs> It was just it too was much. Weird. But I, I like I do think that kind of works that Kristen Scott Thomas and Emilio Estevez are 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 big recognizable actors. And so it makes their deaths kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. Um if you didn't know it was coming. That, you know, it's it's Maybe that was you know what, I'll bet that was a conscious choice on their part. Like cast people that you expect to see throughout the film. So John Voight too, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're just as shocked as Ethan when they die. Yeah. So we've been jumping around the plot here. I, I want to get to Vanessa Redgrave mm-hmm. because, I don't know, I was pretty shocked by this whole scene that it's awesome. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, subversive in a way that uh, doesn't come up in the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Like, not a heck of a whole lot of women in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she's like the big bad and playing it both terrifying and funny. yeah. But that's the thing, like she is the big bad, but she you like her. You respect what she's doing. She is making a living for herself in such a badass way, and I wanted to see more of her. Yeah, I I she's so funny in the final scene on the train mm-hmm. where she's calling Tom Cruise and she's aggressively flirting with him. She's <laughs> like, Oh my dear boy, for ten million that's worth just the chance to see you. Hangs up on him immediately calls Phelps and is like, yeah, he's in the baggage room. Go. <laughs> it's such a great performance. Yeah. And um, when we watched Fallout, you caught on to the fact, I didn't, I completely, because it again, it had been so long since I had seen the first movie. I forgot about Max. Um, it's her daughter in the sixth film? I, I think, she, so she definitely references Max. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Vanessa Kirby, who, who, I love, she's great on The Crown. Mm -hmm. I I think she is very consciously doing a Vanessa Redgrave voice. Yeah. That might just be her voice. Maybe I am erasing the fine (laughs) distinctions in British accents, but. No, they're both named Vanessa. Probably the same, yeah. The math is a little dodgy on whether Vanessa Redgrave could be Vanessa Kirby's mother, but, uh, you know, that doesn't really mean anything. But yeah, yeah, they're they're definitely connected. Maybe she's like a fun aunt. 
Yeah. Yeah. So as much as I liked Vanessa Kirby in that movie, watching this, I was like, just bring Vanessa Redgrave back. I like, know. Maybe they will for the next movie. Is she? I don't know. I think she's alive. I was looking at this last night. I'm pretty sure she's alive. I am just going to click on this because, um, yeah, she's alive. Okay. Good. Yeah. Bring Vanessa Redgrave back. What's up with that? Uh, do you have a favorite line from the movie? Uh, ba, 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 ba. I have a couple. Okay. Asta lasagna, don't get any on you. It's pretty good. Yep. I also like at the end of the movie, Luther going, I'm going to miss being disreputable. Yes. It's a great line. That is great. Um, my personal favorite is when Ethan says to Krieger, Krieger, zero body count. And there's a pause. And Sean Reno says, we'll see. <laughs> It's just very good. Yeah. I. Where do you stand on the appearance of old school floppy disks? Oh, my God. We haven't talked about technology in this movie. Sorry, I got so excited I knocked my mic. The internet scene where he yeah. is searching. I don't think they know God. how email works. No. <laughs> <laughs> they but really don't. Do you remember what a beautiful, simpler time it was when movies could just be like the internet's a thing people don't know about it we could we could just use it for whatever narrative purposes we want it's great also uh this was a fun fact i saw this morning um apple apparently is product placed throughout the entire film and they did it to sort of boost their product because they had a terrible quarter or something like that in 1995 and they were like oh if this tom cruise action movie takes off everyone will want apple products Mission accomplished. <laughs> Where are the Apple products? That's the thing. They're the computers, I think, that they use. But Oh, like the laptops he has? Yeah, but I don't remember I actually, seeing like a Apple logo in neither there. Neither did I, but I did note that his his uh, his laptop is surprisingly thin for 1996. Yeah, my note for it. Yeah, my note for it was like, it looks like my work laptop. Right. Good old ThinkPad. Huh. <laughs> ThinkPad, if you're listening. <laughs> but yeah, the other thing I was like, in 1996, I mean, they're spies. I'm sure they have whatever special gadget, but like, mm-hmm. could you just go to a hotel in Eastern Europe and get hooked up to the internet in your own hotel room? I don't think so. Like, these were the days of internet cafes, and I don't yeah. think we have Wi-Fi yet, no. but <laughs> that, was, that was interesting. We'll just suspend our disbelief there. So we haven't really talked about Jim Phelps, mm-hmm. and here's something I want to get to. Go on. So... This was another thing that confused the heck out of me as a kid is when they sit down in the cafe in the train station and uh, Phelps is saying Kittredge did it, Mm -hmm. but Tom Cruise is getting these flashes in his head of Phelps doing it and is playing along and I think I got it now. Yeah. But Ethan says, why, Jim? And he gives this whole speech about, oh, the president's running the country without your permission, blah, 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 blah. And Mm -hmm. then he says... And you're only making 62 grand a year. Oh my God. I made a note about that too. That is what? So, so one, an awful lot of people in 2018 would kill for a job that pays 62K. Yeah. Let's start there. Like, yeah. We are talking about some radically different economies. But yeah. then I was like, wait a minute, this is 1996 and it's US dollars. Do you know what that salary equals in 2018 Canadian dollars? I don't. Nearly 130 grand a year. That is. And that is so disgusting to him. That he needs to sacrifice all of his fellow agents. Yep. <laughs> to get his six million. Yeah. I was like, wow, the 1996 economy, really different from the time we're living in now. Totally. Well, like, I guess I would say in Jim Phelps's defense, you know, if you were risking life and limb every day, even in 1996, you should get like a million dollars a year. Well, he hasn't talked about what his benefits package is. Presumably, if he's injured <laughs> on the job, he gets. Yeah, and Some sort of something. he was clearly successful enough to grab, um, I forget her last name, Emmanuel, his wife, Claire Phelps. So in like the universe in which this like movie is real, again, I'm sorry, I just don't believe Claire and it is Jim. A, they, 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 they don't really explain that. When he checks to make sure she's okay at the end, he's basically mounting her. Oh, when Tom Cruise does? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just, again, disturbing. It also, that, yeah, that didn't really track for me because... She's basically just tried to kill him. Yeah. He realizes that she's killed all of his friends. Yeah. She gets shot by her partner in crime for reasons I'm very unclear of. <laughs> but then he takes a very tender moment there to like, yeah, 
assault yeah. her corpse. <laughs> <laughs> well, Phelps is getting away. I know. I think it's a weird combination of Tom Cruise acting both action superstar and romantic Lothario and... Like, Tom Cruise, at least not until Jerry Maguire, he's not really a romantic lead. Like, he has romantic interests in his movies, but, well, like, in real life, you see Tom Cruise, like, I I don't want to drag this up because I think it's ridiculous, but um, he's had to defend his sexuality so many times in the media. Yeah, I mean, even without getting into his personal life, it's Mm -hmm. long been a criticism of him that he doesn't have chemistry with his female co-stars. I think... That gets misread a little bit mm-hmm. in that I don't actually think he has great chemistry with anyone on screen, like his, his male co-stars or whatever. You know, I think the end scene in the cafe with Luther feels just as awkward. They're yeah. supposed to be buddy-buddy and it, it doesn't feel that way. And I think Tom Cruise is fantastic at being a leading man mm-hmm. and making things the Tom Cruise show. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not great at interacting with, with other people on screen. Unless it's in a hostile or or some sort of adversarial manner. Yeah. Interesting. I do think he gets better throughout sure. his career. But you're right. In this movie, I think the problem is he just doesn't know who Ethan is. Like, maybe that's it. Maybe that's why Ethan is so Well, so I'm, I'm going to continue to advance my theory of Ethan. Okay. So... <sighs> I can't believe I'm about to say this. <laughs> Let's go there. Let's go first year film studies essay. Ready. He's a man who wears many masks. <laughs> no, seriously. Literally. His job is to pretend to be other people. Mm-hmm. And I think he is putting on an act amongst his coworkers at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. as this very cocky guy, this like, I risk my life. I go save the world. Mm-hmm. That's who I am. And he's clearly never faced real danger up until the prog mission. Yeah. Or maybe he has, but he's never experienced ill consequence. Like he's never lost anyone before. Right. He keeps gambling and he's won every time by luck. Um, And I think once everything goes disastrously wrong, this role he's playing drops Mm -hmm. and yeah, he kind of realizes there is no one there. Yeah. Uh, It's all been sort of a made up hall of mirrors type thing. And I love that he's kind of just a vacant dude who, only cares about getting the mission done. That's yeah. the only thing he has left. I, you know, he doesn't know what his personality is. He doesn't know what his relationships are. All he knows is, I got to finish this mission because yeah. that's what I do. And yeah. I think that gets played with in, in interesting ways if, if you keep your eyes peeled uh, throughout the rest of the series. Totally. And I think we'd be remiss to not mention the fact that Tom Cruise's, fa- I'm sorry, Ethan Hunt's family is referenced in this movie. So there is a hint at a background, but it's, it's never expanded upon. I weirdly didn't like. Yeah. Like, I don't like the idea of this having, of him having a family. I don't even like the idea of Ethan Hunt being his real name. Like, mm-hmm. I always assumed that was sort of whatever cover he took, sort yeah. of like Jason Bourne, the idea totally. that there's a Mr. and Mrs. Hunt in, where did they say? Yeah, like, Idaho or? Something like that. And it's his mom and his uncle. Right. So it's like, already there's a story there. Like, why not his mom and dad? But, I think all they do is serve the whole idea that Ethan Hunt will do anything to protect those he cares about, but yes. it's not executed very well. Well, and maybe like at the time, because there was just that one movie, like it was perfect. Mm-hmm. But in the context of the rest of the films, I don't think his family ever comes up again. He's got, you know, his um, leading ladies, of course, but no, otherwise I think yeah, Ethan I mean, his, Hunt is just like. wife will, will yeah. play a role, but yeah. Not he otherwise just sort of emerges from the abyss, and this took the abyss away. All right, you wanted to talk about the Langley scene. Yeah, I just want to go into this in a little more detail because I think it's so freaking great. Mm-hmm. And watching it again, even having seen this just a couple of weeks ago, I was still tense. This is action and thriller cinema kind mm-hmm. of at its best. I, I, I mean... Okay, well, speaking of that stunt, um, what do you have a favorite stunt from the movie? I mean, I think it's got to be that one, right? Like, what, yeah. like it's the most iconic stunt, not only of the series, mm-hmm. but maybe of the decade. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm racking my brain for '90s movies. Um, there's some pretty great ones in Terminator Two. Yep. Uh, okay, I guess The Matrix comes in 1999, and maybe him waving past the bullets yeah. is a little more iconic. But 
But that is also, I, I wouldn't even call that a stunt. That is just. Almost more of a special effect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in terms of like real life action stunts, the only stunts that I can think of that would top um, Tom Cruise hanging from that wire are other Mission Impossible stunts that come in right. the later films. It's like they're all trying to top that one. Right. Or like some real old school Hollywood stuff. Like I'm thinking of like the wild bunch where they blow up a bridge and people are standing on it and they're yeah. like. We don't have computers yet. We'll just go stand <laughs> on the bridge. But yeah, I you know, of of my lifetime, I can't think of a more iconic stunt. And what I think is cool about it, he 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 doesn't look like an action hero. He's very delicate doing it. He looks like an acrobat. I well, a note that I made for myself is it's ballet like his yes, movements. Yes, his shoes even look they, like they ballet look like slippers. dance shoes. Yeah. 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 Let's take a moment to appreciate how graceful Tom Cruise is. Well, no, I just I think it's cool that like the def defining stunt of this one isn't like a feat of jumping away from an explosion or yeah it's delicate it's It's very yeah which is something i love about spy movies in general i love like a good heist a good Mm -hmm. because it's like it's more brains than it is brawn totally until it comes time to blow up a helicopter yeah (laughs) yeah it's really good so just start (laughs) to finish i love that these guys are impersonating firefighters yes because that's the least probable aspect of all of this i know where do you get a fire truck how did they short circuit the fire alarm in langley why is no one chasing them trying to retrieve the fire truck right when this goes on the news that there's a fire at the cia yeah is the actual fire department not gonna be like wait a minute where'd our truck go that's not us (laughs) but so they get in there Mm -hmm. i love that this is kind of a low-tech mission totally that He's going through the vents. When he comes out, he's actually kind of dirty. You can yep. see stuff on him. I also think that was completely on purpose because this is all leading towards what we've established as maybe the best stunt of the 90s and possibly of all time because it is so purely based on physical strength. Like there's no gadget involved. It's Jean Reno holding Tom Cruise. He's shaking. You can see his arm shaking, which I think adds to the tension. Like, oh, shit, he's going to drop him. Yeah. And um, Tom Cruise having to hold his entire body in the air. I can't do that. Apparently when he was, this is just IMDB trivia. Yeah. I'm going to repeat now. But apparently they had the harness like at his midpoint. Mm-hmm. And whenever they'd lower him, he kept smacking his head on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> because your your top half is heavier than your bottom half. Yeah. So he ended up putting coins in his shoes. To like really? balance himself out, which is just such a cool practical, like that's probably what you would do as a spy, right? You, yeah, absolutely. You'd test it, and if you didn't w- work, you'd put weights in your feet. Yeah, <laughs> and like, let's just also take a moment to appreciate how freaking hard it is to hold your entire body weight up in the air. I know people can do it. There was a period in my life, which I won't go into because it was a sad, weird time, but I took this circus class <laughs> where... I basically had to hold my entire body up in the air and I couldn't do it. Like I practiced at it for eight weeks and I developed muscle for the first time in my life, but then I quit because it was too hard. People always joke about the fact that when uh, Tom Cruise takes his shirt off, even as an older gentleman, he has too many abs. Like it it looks improbable how many abs he has. And yet you watch him doing this and you're like, yeah, of course. He he needs to have three times the core strength of your average (laughs) human being. Oh, I totally forgot about the rat in that scene where John Jean Reno is just lying there and the rat comes out. Yeah. That was uh, just a moment for me, heebie-jeebie. Yeah. And then do you notice that the rat is dead beside him after? Yeah. yeah. Did I miss that? Like, how did he kill the rat? No, you don't see it. He he flails his arm and then it cuts to Tom Cruise dropping. Okay. I think we're meant to believe he, like, pounded the rat to death. <laughs> or he, like, bit it or something. I don't know. Which I... I don't know how that wouldn't trigger the decibel meter, but yeah. anyway. What I love about this scene is it's so great that you miss all the reasons why this doesn't work. Yeah. So they've brought Luther in to be the expert hacker. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, 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 I can't do this remotely because it's, you know, an air-gapped computer or whatever and you, you, you have to On get the there. the internet in 1996. And yet when it comes down to his role... Luther sits in the truck and reads out a password to Ethan. <laughs> Could he have written it on his hand? Like, no one's hacking anything. He's just, you know what? I honestly didn't even process that. I was just enjoying that scene. And it works so well because 
you keep cutting to Luther's reaction as the guy who has to watch this. Yep. And the guy who... Luther is us in that scene. Well, yeah. And the guy who's going to have to decide, like, do I run away with a fire truck by myself if he hits the floor (laughs) and triggers the sensors? But it's a a mostly silent scene. Yep. And uh, all three of them, unfortunately, like... Emmanuel Bayard gets gets kind of cut out of this. She she gives the guy the like. There's no point to her in this movie. The like ex lax in his coffee. Yeah, and then she's out. Yeah. Um. This is also the first time we see in this series them setting up the mission, uh, where they show all the obstacles to overcome. It's an obstacle course. Yeah. And um, the preview just adds to the tension, and I think it's a brilliant technique. And I don't know enough about spy movies to know if it had been done in other series before but i think well you definitely see it in heist movies a lot Mm -hmm. um before and since well for my purposes it was the first time i think probably as a kid that i saw those scenes set up like that where it's here's the task yeah and then you actually watch them go through it and i just it's it's so efficient and so beautiful can't touch the ground it's like Mm -hmm. the adult version of the the floor is lava game yeah (laughs) can't touch the ground can't make any noise. And yep. if your body temperature goes higher than one degree, yep. you're dead. Yep. Um, and just the color of the room, the way that the floor panels turn red if you're caught, the yep. way the lights turn on and off, it's it's so brilliant. And Ving Rhames, John Reno, and Tom Cruise do amazing face acting yes. throughout the entire thing that you just, you get it, you get what they're feeling, you get yep. how fucked up this is and how scared they all are. Yep. And it's excellent. Yep. Tom Cruise's expression uh, is amazing. It is my new Twitter cover photo (laughs) (laughs) because it's just, it brings me so much delight. And I think it's added to by the fact that he's wearing glasses and you so rarely see him wear glasses. Well, the way that one bead of sweat rolls down the the lens of his glasses. You know what? Maybe that's why they had him wearing glasses because the bead of sweat I think is probably less dramatic and maybe kind of gross. Harder to capture. Yeah, if like if yeah. it's just like a thing on his forehead, but it hits the glass. And so you're immediately, like it's a splatter and you're like, oh my gosh. Well, and it 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 like sort of becomes an art movie at this point yeah. where his hand's moving in slow motion. Yep. And then when it hits his glove, just so. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, yeah, I just, I love Everything about how that scene is shot. When he drops the knife, mm-hmm. it's like one of the most beautiful scenes I've seen in a movie as it's it's falling through the air in slow-mo. And it just lands so perfectly. I, it's just so funny to me how much of their plan relies on this guy's going to get really, really sick to his stomach. Yeah. Like, you know? <laughs> it's a really, it's a, it's almost a funny contrast where you have this incredibly tense, beautifully choreographed scene um, like just juxtaposed to this guy sweating and barfing in a bathroom which is funny and it's also interesting that the rat is sort of also part of that comical juxtaposition yeah because again you've got tom cruise ballet dancing in the air and then sean reno headbutting a rat and this guy puking his guts out in the bathroom yeah Yeah. it just it comes together beautifully yes yeah great scene (laughs) <laughs> don't know what else there is to say about it. It's fantastic. Good job, Brian De Palma. I yep. appreciate it. And so I think probably the next best stunt in the movie after that is when they're fighting on top of the train, that the speeding bullet train. I was really blown away by that. Mm-hmm. I, I had completely forgotten that. And, you know, I realized that they did not actually film that on top of a train. But Although they had um, wind machines in there. Tom Cruise specifically requested machines that would be strong enough to potentially blow him off the train. I, I guess the only thing that disappointed me is that if I kn- now that Tom Cruise has the power he does, if they were going to redo that today, he would have done it on top of the train. But it looks so good. Well, there's a, probably going to be a next Mission Impossible movie, so maybe they go back and try that for real. So, so what did you like about the train top battle? Just that it did look plausible um in a movie filled with effects that i sort of pointed my nose down at um this one you know it still looks 90s it still looks like there's potentially a green screen in the background which there was um but you could see the wind actually on these characters and you could tell that this would have been challenging to film and it just like really added to the realism yeah and you know the hanging from the rafters thing i i know it was inspired by other movies but it's Mm -hmm. it's really unlike anything you've ever seen whereas 
I mean, how many movies have people get on top of a moving train? Yeah. And, you know, I, as you're watching this movie, you're comparing it to other train top battles you've seen. Totally. And this is so much better than I think I've, I've seen even since. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. It just, you could see the, <laughs> the faces like just like vibrating and the cheeks look silly, but. Well, but that, that's what's great. Yeah. But here, here's my only problem with the train top battle. Okay. It starts with our focus on Tom Cruise, who is flipping all over the place. His jacket's flying off. His his um, uh, tie's flying off. Mm-hmm. It, it looks incredibly real. And when he does, he tries to move and he basically like flips over. That's st- like, I felt that. Yeah. He could have probably did get tossed off the train trying to film that. But then it cuts to John Voight, who's doing the <laughs> suction cup thing. And it looks a little like. The that's Batman a little sixties series. Yeah, that's a little less plausible. One gets the feeling that John Voight was like, he's doing what with a wind machine? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm going to do this, and you do what you. you know. That's actually really funny, and I choose to believe that is how it did happen <laughs> in real life. <laughs> okay, but speaking of Brian De Palma, yeah. So I think um, we have some questions that we need to answer, and this is obviously the first foray into the film, so perhaps it's unfair to compare it to the rest of the movies. But we're going to do it anyways. Um, Brian De Palma, do you think he is the best director of the Mission Impossible series? Um, So full credit for setting up this Mm -hmm. world and a lot of the things uh, that work in it. You can see them all trying to find the tone and Mm -hmm. the whatever. And how I end up feeling about this one is kind of how I end up feeling about the Tim Burton Batman movies, which is they're very great. Mm -hmm. But... They feel like two halves that, and and I know a lot of people will disagree with this, but I've always felt that, you know, you have a Batman movie operating in 50% of the DNA and in the other 50%, it's Tim Burton's obsession with certain design features and whatever. And, you know, I mean, one of the cool things about that character is that there's a different take on it and everybody applies their own visual sense. But because Tim Burton has such a distinctive style, it, it, it has always felt like two halves that aren't fully merging. And I, and I feel the same way here. I think Brian De Palma has a lot of interesting ideas that are operating in the Vanessa Redgrave scenes and in the, the, the eyeglasses that are cameras scenes that we've talked about. Yeah. But they don't merge with, you know, when it comes down to, by the time they get onto the top of the train, it feels very much like a different movie, especially when it ends with him blowing up that helicopter. And, and after we've seen this incredibly athletic, very physical stunt with him hanging from the ceiling where gravity feels very real. You know, even the air in the room feels very weird Mm -hmm. or very, very real. Excuse me. When the helicopter explodes and he's propelled onto the train, like none of the physics of that work. And it, and it just, it it feels like two halves that aren't, aren't hanging together. So I think he made a great Brian De Palma movie. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is a great mission impossible movie. That was a very thoughtful response mine is simpler which is i didn't like it because i couldn't follow the plot (laughs) okay where do you stand on brian de palma in general i don't know enough about him to really give an educated response um i think you're right he did make a brian de palma film in that it's artfully set up um there i have another fun fact which is they went into um, pre-production for this movie without a finished script they just had certain stunts in mind that they wanted to do and I think that kind of shows. Like the stunts in this movie are fantastic for their time, but I think they planned a movie around stunts and then they just sort of cobbled together plot to connect the scenes. And I think I am a somewhat intelligent person and the fact that I constantly was like, wait, what's going on? That really took me out of the movie. And and don't get me wrong, without jumping ahead to future episodes, he is not the only director who's going to do this. John Woo is going to make a John Woo movie. J.J. Abrams is going to make a J.J. Abrams movie. Mm-hmm. I, I just think later directors manage to merge their own interests and styles with the kind of loose Mission Impossible framework a little bit better than this. All right. Well, as we go forward, I'll be able to offer a more informed opinion on all of this. <laughs> okay. So what are some of the other questions we have to answer about this movie? Uh, favorite gadget? Bomb gum. Absolutely bomb gum. Yeah, I I still think that's so cool. You can imagine how that would feel in your hands. Yeah. You can imagine, like, I love that Emilio Estevez has to say, don't chew it. Yeah. Because weirdly. <laughs> also arguably one of the best lines of the film. My first thought was, 
what would happen if you chewed that? <laughs> like, and actually, sort of like a Chekhov's gum, Chekhov's gun, yeah. or Chekhov's gum kind of thing. Yeah. I'm a little disappointed no one chewed it. I know. Imagine if Ethan had just like fed it to John Voight at the end or something. No, don't get me wrong. I love how gruesome John Voight's death is. Yeah. He really gets fucked up. Yeah. It's, a- there. it's pretty nasty. But I, I think I'm with you on bomb gum. Yep. Um, I really like the suction cups because they seem very real. <laughs> they probably aren't, but... You Googled it after, didn't you? I didn't. I didn't want to be disappointed. Okay. Out they're not All real. right. So now I have a birthday present in mind for you. <laughs> yes. But I will, uh, I'll, I'll go with you on bomb gum. I yeah. actually, I, I, okay. So I think one thing we should get clear, mm-hmm. masks don't count for this question each week because yeah. they're like, they're above mere gadgets as far as this series yeah. is concerned. Well, maybe that will change though, because again, I think what took me out of the movie from the very start was just how poor the effects were. And again, for 1996, I'm sure it was cutting edge, but watching it now in 2018, I was like, oh man, that's a shitty mask. <laughs> well, it's also funny to me that this is the only one where they don't have voice changing capabilities to yes. go along with it. Yes. And it stands, <laughs> if you watch it with that in mind, it actually stands out a lot. In yeah. The scene where... Claire approaches him on the train as he's sitting very still and not talking, and she reveals her entire plan without him asking any questions. Without him saying a oh single my word. god! Yeah. Yes. So yeah, the, the mas- worst spy ever. Worst spy ever. Well, even worse, traitor ever. Or whatever. Yeah. And especially like you've used these masks. If you had used these masks in your day job for your entire life. Yep. Of all people, you should be so suspicious of every, like, give me your thumbprint. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so that sort of dovetails into um, another question that we have to answer, which is, like, who's the most valuable member of the IMF team and who is the least? And so I think Claire is the does, least valuable does member. Does she count as a member of the IMF team? I think so, because she's, like, there in the beginning when they're joshing around all together but, and getting their next mission. But she's a villain. She's not really working with them. But Ethan doesn't know that. Right. Until the very end. we know that. Like anything, you can plausibly explain away that anything she does poorly as a team member is because she's actually trying to. All right. All right. Fine. I think it has to be Sunglasses Lady. (laughs) Hannah has to be the least valuable member of the team. Yeah. There's no point to her other than she gets blown up and Tom Cruise, Ethan, feels bad about it. You you could also argue Kristen Scott Thomas. I would accept that too because I don't understand how you get stabbed through. Offense. to death. (laughs) Well, in her defense... A defense of the fence. No, um, I do think she probably has the most heroic acting moment of the film, which is when she just lets Tom Cruise weirdly fake manhandle her, <laughs> kiss her on the jaw and whisper in her ear. And I know we've sort of talked about that before, but yes. just like real performance from Kristen Scott Thomas and real performance from the character who yeah. has to keep it together in Prague. <laughs> um, so I, my, my vote is for Hannah. Okay. Agreed. Most, sucks. most valuable member. I think this one, it's got to go to Ethan Hunt himself. It does because everyone else dies. So sort of by default, he wins. <laughs> everyone else dies or is working against him. I think yep. the only other member who could be up for nomination is Ving Rhames. Yep. Luther. And it's not, not Luther's best outing. No. Um, which leads to our next question, which is where is Luther sitting this week? Where is Luther sitting this week? So um, throughout this series... Most of his scenes are he, he has to sit somewhere <laughs> and look dramatically at a screen. And yep. whoever decided to cast him for this role Perfect. deserves every well award possible because he's so great at doing that. Yep. This week, Luther is sitting in a stolen fire truck. And then, I guess, a train bathroom. Yeah, which is less glamorous. Yeah. So this week, he's, he's sitting in a fire truck. Yep. I think that's a good one. Yep. Yep. Good way to go out. Yep. <laughs> um, best stunt we've already talked about at length. Which is hanging from a wire. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know what the challenger would be. It, yeah. it would be the train top, but it's not the train top. It's we have to talk about the theme music. Yeah, and the score, which is recognized around the world, possibly one of the best scores ever, uh, is actually from the original TV show. Yeah, uh, composed by Lalo Schifrin. Schifrin. Sure, and and you could sort of feel that it sounds very much like a TV theme song yeah you you've described it as like fun cartoony before yeah like it's 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 it does get you excited it it's it's really cool but yeah there's like a cartoony vibe to it it's not taking itself too seriously yeah it's great and um the best fun fact that i learned while um prepping for this podcast recording was that um for the 1996 movie u2 bandmates larry mullen jr and adam clayton 
were actually commissioned to like revamp the theme for the movie. And that's what you hear, I believe, over the end credits. I could be wrong about that. Because there are two different versions of it in this movie. Mm -hmm. There's the one that plays at the very start. Mm -hmm. Which Uh, is the original. Okay. I'm pretty sure. And then they do the one at the end. I, I think so. I could have that wrong, but... Um. <laughs> See, I love the version at the start. Mm-hmm. It's it's like the perfect, neutral, great, distilled version. Man, we really should have fact-checked this. I'm pretty sure that's the original, but... If we're wrong, we'll put it in the notes. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, the, the, one at, the one at the end, I'm not as crazy about. Yeah, well, I think that is the... YouTube remix. I mean, sorry, the U2 remix. The U2 on YouTube. Yeah, version. but here's the thing. Um, so apparently it was so popular in 1996 that it entered the top 10 music chart, like not just in North America, but like around the world. And it was nominated for a Grammy, uh, specifically for the best pop instrumental performance in 1997. Interesting. I don't remember that at all. No, I do remember the next one, which I think also hit the charts. Are you aware of who did the next version? No. Okay, I'm just going to leave that for you. Just a, a, a joy to discover. Just remember that for this one, they got you too. And and keep that in mind when we talk about who composed next one. Okay, version. something to look forward yep, to. It's going to be great. All right, so is that it? Have we answered all the questions we need to answer? Well, we have to rank the film in comparison with the other ones, but seeing as we've only watched the first one, it wins for this right. week. Right. Right now it's a list of one. Yep. It is first and last. It is number one. Yep, as is Brian De Palma as director. Good job, uh, Brian. Good job, yep. Mission Impossible 1. I can already tell you, Brian, you're not staying in the number one spot. Thank you for listening to our first official episode. You should also be able to find our next episode in your feed on Mission Impossible 2. New episodes will be dropping every Thursday starting November 15th. As always, thanks to Aaron Coster for our awesome logo. If you like us, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell a buddy or two. And if you really, really like us, please visit patreon.com slash Talk for exclusive content. You can find us on Twitter at KimAndBillyTalk. See the show notes for more details. And until next time, it's mission accomplished. Please tell me they were directly inspired by Twister the movie. Yeah, and I think they're a little defensive about that. They're like, no, 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 no. You know, there's years of research from blah, blah, blah. Twister just, whatever. They finally get the truck right in the path of the storm. Yeah. Drone takes off, immediately crashes into the (laughs) The tornado just like slaps it out of the way. (laughs) Get out of here, Helen Hunt film. (laughs) Ruined Twister for me. Uh, Science class has yet to do that for Mission Impossible. That's all I'm saying.